0: hi hi it's such <laughs> a honor to talk to you honestly like i'm so excited
1: to hear your story well thank you for having me on here and for wanting to
0: well welcome to in my Fields. thank you yeah how are you feeling this is lou by the way which it's I know good to meet you heard. lou
2: hey how's it going so- excellent how are you I'm I'm great. So so basically the the premise of in my feels is um thoughts feelings emotions on the inside create your outside exterior. So we always start with a point of how how are you feeling right okay. now.
1: I, I actually I'm feeling pretty good, you know. It might sound kind of odd with everything going on in the world, you know, we're still in a, you know fairly deep in lockdown in New York. We're starting to to come out of it a little bit, but you know restaurants, things like that. There's still no indoor dining. So it's not like life is going back anywhere even close to normal. But I think what I found during this time, it's made me sort of kind of start reevaluating my life, seeing what I was doing before, you know, when the world was normal, that wasn't really making me happy, wasn't fulfilling, uh, was draining me. So, this has kind of really allowed me to look at what works for me, what doesn't work for me, and, and start kind of just shifting and reorganizing my entire world in a way that I am much, much happier with. You know, probably, you know, I haven't been out since really early March at all, uh, yeah. other than like to make a quick run to get supplies and, and back. And I found that this is how I am the most productive, the most happy and the Me most too. content. So I'm kind of happy. Yeah.
0: Me too. I'm glad I've heard somebody else say that. Cause <laughs>
1: I, I, you know, I, I
0: feel like a lot of people have had time to reflect, you know, through this and, and there's a lot of bad things going on in the world right now. Um, so I think this was, it was a great time for the world to kind of shut down and for there there to be like some self-reflection for everybody, yes. you know, I feel yeah. like, I feel like I've heard that like a lot from my friends too. like, they, you know, my friend who's an artist, like he, he takes photos and he's just been watching YouTube videos on lighting and everything and, and just trying yes. to get better on, on everything. And it's, you know inspiring for me just because like you know that makes me want to get up and go sit at my piano and write you know it's Uh, kind
1: of forcing everybody to develop more of an internal life
0: it is for sure
2: that's it's kind of the same for me i'm kind of because you know i i I kind of pinpoint my manifestations and the things that are in my life um it's kind of like a science fun experiment for me now when mm-hmm. I have a thought and then I see that thought come to life without me actually physically doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to now like pinpoint exactly where my life is at. For example, same as, as, as you, Damien, you know, I haven't really been out since March, you know, I have a, a eight month old. Um, so the focus is pretty much her and, and music and pretty much everything in my life now is, is exactly how I want it to be.
1: Me too. Same exact same thing. Yeah. Exact Same thing. And I can and kind of like to- Noah was saying, you know, about uh, people watching YouTube videos and, and learning more about like lighting and photography and all that. It really has kind of given everybody time to up their game a little bit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I
0: should have worked out more.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I should have. Um, I, I know you're heavy into meditation, Damien, uh, and things like that, but I used to meditate And and I'm so happy with where I am at now that I don't want anything to affect that. Yes.
1: Yes, exactly. Same for me. And, you know, I, I realized like, even when I was in prison, I think in a lot of ways, I got used to living a really, really almost monastic lifestyle just because like the last almost decade that I was in prison, I was in solitary confinement. So I wasn't used to, you know, a lot of human interaction anyway. So whenever I came out here, it was a huge change and, you know, I wanted to kind of like see what the world was about and and see new things and and new places and all that kind of stuff. But I realized that the further I got away from my practices and and went further out into the world, the less happy I was. And now the more I'm coming back to, you know, sort of what I grew up with in a very real way, because in, in a lot of ways I did grow up in prison, the more content, I am.
2: Absolutely. um uh, I, I want to go back because I mean I've been watching uh, so many documentaries on you and and just for people who don't know Damien's story, he was on you know um, accused of a crime he didn't commit with with two other uh, teenagers, um spent a, a, a shit ton of time in in in, uh, in on death row, close to twenty years. Um, and and me, I mean, I, I watching these documentaries, I'm so angry. Um, at the justice system and how, and, and even more so for you, as well as that these people who did all these type of things to you are still in power and, mm-hmm. and, and in power in positions. For example, the judge who was on your case as a Democratic uh, um, senator, there's, you know, the prosecution is still in power. And I'm thinking how many of these people have they put through the system and, and how none of them have been held accountable for, for what they've, they've done, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I love your reaction to it. I know, I know you have so many amazing books, um, and you, your your perspective on this is is amazing. And I'd love for you to share that with us, and just kind of how you've dealt with that, and you know, because everyone, no one can compare to what what you went through and stuff. But I know people who feel like they're in a personal prison w- within themselves, and all other things. Um, and your story is so inspirational. So I'd love to spread that story with you know our listeners and everyone else who who kind of can, can feel that, that pain, you know?
0: And, uh, I'm oh, usually here. not, sorry, sorry. I'm usually not so quiet, but I'm just so excited to hear you talk that I'm just stand, sitting back and I just, I, I, I can't wait to hear your story. And you're so inspirational, especially, you know, I, there's a f- major fail in our, the system and you know, you're, a great example of, of, of how, how fucked up the system is. And um, it, it's incredible that you're using your experience for people that are probably going to go through that now um, and are going through that now. Um, Cause there's many, many, many people that are going through that. And, and um, it's amazing that you have had such a positive outcome from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing that you, you know, immediately, you know, you come in, you, you are, you're on our podcast here and you, and you immediately made something good of yourself the second that you got out and, and you, I don't know. I, it's just, I, I've been so intrigued and, and Lou sent me all the documentaries and I've been watching all the documentaries and it, it, you've just inspired me so much. So that's why I, if I'm quiet, I'm sorry. I've just Thank been you. like, so no really excited so to much. talk to you and,
1: um, yeah, yeah. I'm, Thank I'm, you. You know, sure. I actually have not seen the documentaries. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I was going to ask yeah, you. Yeah. It's one of those things. Not? Well, you know, I, I think about it. Well, it, it, it always reminds me of this guy that I knew uh, when I was on death row. Whenever you get close to your execution date, they take you over to what they call the death house, which is where they keep you at like a few days before they're getting ready to kill you. Um, so they take this guy over there. And at the last minute, he gets a stay of execution and they bring him back to the prison where I was. And he says, yeah, when I got over there uh, and they were getting ready to kill me, he said, my whole life flashed before my eyes, but I didn't watch it because it was a rerun. And that's kind of the same way that I feel about the documentaries. It's like, you know, I was there, I lived through it, I saw it. and, And honestly, I don't Think I would get very much out of maybe or or other than maybe re-traumatizing myself in some way. But it's, it's, you know, this is really, really hard to describe to people um, because most people, the first thing they think of when they think of me is this case and, you know, the time that I was in prison, the stuff that I was going through. But for me, it's like that. For the rest of the world, it's almost like I became synonymous with that you know, sort of like that was my identity. And for me, it was almost like that played very, very little role in the development of of who I am or, you know, the direction that I went internally or my development or any of those sorts of things, which is one of the reasons, I guess, that I'm not like super hung up on it or bitter about it or angry about, you know, if I sat around thinking all the time about the people who had screwed me over or what they had done to me or you know, the, some of the horrendous things that I went through, I probably would be an angry person, but as crazy as it sounds, it's, you know, when we think of forgiveness and forgiving people, we think it's like this holy thing or like we do it to be a better person or whatever. I honestly think the biggest part of true forgiveness is just not giving a shit. I think once you do that, you let stuff go so easy because you just don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and that's what it is for me. I hardly ever look back on that stuff anymore. Uh, just because I'm so focused on where I'm at now. And I love the work that I'm doing. I love, uh, the life that I'm living. So I don't really look back on that stuff a great deal. And I honestly think that is a huge part of what has allowed me to come through like the, the trauma and everything else. And I mean, it, it wasn't always easy. You know, whenever I first got out here, I think in a lot of ways getting out of prison was as hard as going into prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, when I first got out, like I said, I tried to like experience everything that I had missed out on and it drove me to the point of having a nervous breakdown. Uh, and it's just, you know, really, it comes down to, honestly, honest to God, I think that the main part of letting go of things and getting over the past is focusing on what you love. I think the more you focus on what you love, the more you focus on what inspires you, the more you focus on what lifts you up, um, the less you're going to look back at things that you didn't like and the less angry or the less traumatized you're going to be over.
2: Absolutely. I mean, back to your point of, you know, not being defined by, you know, the, the, the situation that happened to you. Um, I was watching Midnight Gospel with, uh, with you and Duncan Trussell, uh, who's coming on, by the way, who's blown my mind. Um, and I had no idea of your past or any. I didn't know who West Memphis Memphis Three was. I didn't know about any of the cases. I didn't know any of that. You, what you spoke about on that show blew my mind.
1: Duncan Trussell, when we did that show, I, I, you know, I had never heard of him before before I met him. I was doing uh like a promotional tour for the last book, High Magic. Yep. And he had asked if I wanted to come and do his podcast uh f- for that. So I show up at his house and he answers the door wearing a hat, like a fireman's hat that said on fire for Jesus. <laughs> and the f- the first thing I thought was they've sent me to the wrong address. Yeah. This this isn't where I'm supposed to be at all. He ended up being, I swear to God, this is like one of the wisest, most amazing human beings that I have ever I need to get my
0: dad that hat.
1: <laughs> it, it was a pretty great hat. You can, but,
0: I could picture my dad coming out. Look at my hat, sissy. Yeah. We're some, on fire for Jesus. <laughs> so, just like my dad. Look at that, sissy. Does that not sound like my dad, Lou?
2: Oh, well, like collection is legendary. <laughs> yeah I
1: <have> but one. <laughs> so, so, sorry you were saying, you oh were saying, no uh it was just, you know i talked to him that time i absolutely loved this guy it was like just the interaction it wasn't like doing an interview it was like talking to a friend you know somebody that you automatically had so much in common with that the conversation just went back and forth seamlessly so whenever they got ready to put the show uh, together and he asked me would I want to be part of it or do an episode I was absolutely you know I would work with him again in a heartbeat
2: absolutely I mean it, it, those who haven't seen it watch it. it it will blow your mind the things that Damien says in that in that is exactly the the path I'm on or you know the 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 high magic I I just want to dive into high magic and and your description of it just so we can kind of uh, cause I'm uh, this show is all about education and expanding mm-hmm. the mind and the universal consciousness and all those type of things. Um, and I, we have all your books, um, and uh, I'm such a fan. So I definitely want to highlight a bunch of that on this show and, you know, especially high magic. I want, what is high magic?
1: Well, you, usually, you know, whenever I write it, you'll see that it's spelled with a K M A G I C K. And that was, um, sort of brought back by, uh, a guy that's kind of notorious in magical circles now, just because so few people understand his work to any real degree, uh, a man named Alistair Crowley. And whenever he spelled it with a K, he did so for, for two reasons. One was to distinguish it from sleight of hand, you know, like pulling rabbits out of hats or sawing people in half. The other one was to indicate that this is an initiatory current that goes all the way back to ancient Sumer in Mesopotamia. Um this when you're talking about like the technical term for what high magic is is astrotheurgy. It is a way of invoking the energy of the stars to expand consciousness. You know, when most people think of for example astrology, now in modern times we sort of live with this idea that it's the stars and planets are up there like beaming this energy down and causing things to happen in this Plane of existence. Whereas the way they viewed it back then was more along the lines of, you know, as above, so below. You had these currents and patterns taking place on a large universal scale that they believed were mirrored inside of us on an internal level. So it was by studying the stars and, you know, doing the energy work that brought us into alignment with these universal patterns that would bring us into uh, harmony with ourselves. One of the the goals of magic, they say, is to break the chains that bind us to the stars. What that means is we, you know, uh, so much behavior that we like have in our lives uh, is the result of like Compulsion. You know, we don't even realize we're following these, we're repeating these patterns over and over and over in our lives, and we can't break them until we realize that we're making them. The reason that's so important is because if you're just repeating the same patterns over and over and over, you are not exercising free will no matter how much you think you are, you're still just acting and reacting to currents of energy that are you know, taking place inside of us and outside of us that are having an effect on us that we don't even realize is happening. They used to call magic, uh, back in Mesopotamia, it was called the royal science because it is the science of becoming a king. What they mean by that is it it, is, it allows you to reclaim sovereignty of your own life and, and dictate the direction that your life is going to take and be able to make conscious decisions to get to where you want to get to instead of just being uh, the victim of energies that you don't even realize uh, that you're being influenced by.
2: Wow. Is that, is it, so when you say um, high magic, and then I know you mentioned ceremonial magic, is mm-hmm. ceremonial magic the practice of high magic?
1: Exactly. Yes, it is. It's very, very ritualistic in nature. Yep. Uh, what you're doing when you're doing these rituals is sort of learning a formula. You know, you're learning things like visualization. Well, to give you an example, you know, like if you're familiar with Rudolf Steiner's work, he was, he started off as a theosophist with H.P. Blavatsky. Uh, who was a Russian mystic. She wrote a a lot of books like The Secret Doctrine and Isis Unveiled and and all these sorts of things. She went on these pilgrimages to, to Tibet. Rudolf Steiner started off in connection with her, but then eventually went off on his own, sort of developed his own philosophy. And he said at one point that one of the reasons that we do these rituals is we are trying to develop internal sensory perception organs that sort of mirror the way our eyes and ears and sense of touch and everything else works in this world. You know, the same way our physical organs allow us to perceive uh, and interact with this world, so do our uh, energetic sensory organs allow us to do that with these other higher levels of reality. The thing is, most people have never used those organs, so they are extremely atrophied a lot of doing these rituals what you're doing is like calisthenics for your aura and energy system that allow you to perceive other levels of reality than we're used to
2: perceiving absolutely um another thing is that especially with this podcast i want to uh, you know bring the education back to the power that we all possess if you look at all the the religious texts and you know they all touch up on the same thing of you know, we're created in God's image. So we are of God. So therefore we, we are gods. Yes. So we can, we can create our whole environment. Yes. Um, and I don't want to, you know, go too much into the trial aspect of it. But again, for me, as, as an experiment, I want to define where the attraction was to this whole situation in your universe to, you know, for, for, for the first getting arrested and then mm-hmm. from getting prosecuted and then from prosecuted ending up on death row. Was there an emotion or a feeling In your life back, I mean, obviously, as teenagers, we all have those type of things. But the the link to death and being on death row, I mean, you know, because you're someone now who understands that the the life you have is in your control. Mm -hmm. So obviously, as a teenager, you don't you're not aware of that. There's no right.
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: Absolutely. And during that time, you're obviously manifesting in the now because shit is just happening Mm -hmm. so quick. I just want to touch up on the way you felt at that time before trial, during trial. And then at at prosecution and then being on death row.
1: Well, you know, it's it's kind of strange just because when you're talking about these things like being sentenced to death for something you yeah. didn't even do, you know, you're looking at being executed and you look at the situation, and and what you're going through and from the outside world's perspective, and and even from my own perspective at the time, you know, when it was first happening, you think this is a horrible fucking situation. I'm in hell, is what oh. you think. Yeah. But what I started to realize more and more over time is that none of this is happening to me. All of this is happening for me. Every single thing that I went through, as horrible as it seems on the outside, ended up being an incredible blessing in my life. You know, when I was a teenager, I was born into a world where you know like for example my the man who adopted me that I called my father he could not read or write a single word other than his own name they had taught him to sign his name so that he could sign his paychecks you know he was damned to a life of of hard menial labor there were no other opportunities open to him I dropped out of school when I was in ninth grade and I don't think if you look back through my family tree, you're ever going to find a single person with so much as a, as a high school diploma. It was almost like everybody. Let me be
0: clear. Me too. Me too. Us too.
1: Do you know what? I honestly. High school diploma in my family. I I think the best, the, everybody I know that I have the best time with, that I love being around, none of them graduated school.
2: I like Like, that. that Really? Yeah.
1: But, you know, I I would look around at that world and I would think this is a dead end world. You know, by the time I didn't. Yeah. Oh, go ahead.
0: I I just feel like I feel like, you know, with shit like that, like you don't learn. Like when I think about like school and things like that, that's you're not learning there. And for somebody to I remember, you know what, what really hurt my self-confidence with school is. You write a beautiful paper, right? In your mm-hmm. head, you, you you write this incredible paper and you, you think that it's the best story ever. And just because you may have missed a comma or a period or whatever that is, there's a teacher there to tell you that you failed. Yes. Yeah. And and and, and, and I understand that you're there and you're learning your grammatics, whatever the fuck, but there's still someone there to sit and tell you that that beautiful story that you as a child is creating and, and, and is, is imagining and is getting the confidence enough to hand it into a teacher for you to be told that you're failing. I feel yes. like is wrong. And that's where I don't agree with the schooling system. And I also don't agree that, you know, you go to a school for eight hours a day and then you come home and you're given the same amount of work that you've done all day in school. And it gives no child a time to, to develop, be uh, yes. develop to be yes. a child to, yes. you know, and that was one of the reasons I was homeschooled because like I'd get home and my mom was like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. The Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yes. And, I had teachers telling me that I was failing, but I wasn't. Cause I go back and you know what? I, it's weird. I found, I found a, I found a box full of all my old papers. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was such a creative kid, but there were so many fails on there. And I read them back and I was like, wow, I was really inspired. Like that's not a fail. Like, yes. you know, and that's, yes. that's, that's why none of my, the rest of my family, you know, really has much more than a high school diploma because, yes. and some of them don't yes. because you know, like the, the, that that's not learning. What I've no, learned not. is real shit. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. What I'm learning right now is talking to you. What I'm learning is it is, is is meeting Lou. Mm-hmm. What I'm learning is is universal things, and yes. that's that's when you come into play. And like yes. you know, I've had a lot of situations where I needed to use my my brain. I didn't need to go back and think about what I read in a textbook. I needed to use my brain. What's going to get me out of this situation? What mm-hmm. you know that you gotta you gotta learn to trust you, not a textbook. Yes, and, and, and that's that's something that you know. I think also you know you. You're learning about so much history, but you're not learning about what's happening right now.
1: Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. not
0: in school learning about the racism that's happening right now. Yes. Wow. I did not learn in school about the KKK. I didn't, mm-hmm. and, and and you could, and this is something that we should grow up knowing, and that's why we're having the issues that we have right now. And then I could, I'm sorry that I'm going on this rant about school yeah, but president. we started talking about it, and it's just like you're you know, I, I love that about your family. You know, I've been sitting here, every word that you're saying, I've been, I've been sitting here like, this is the coolest guy that I've ever really like spoke. Like, this is so cool. And I'll shut up there, but it's, it's, there's things, you know, that they're, they're, they're not, they don't want us to learn, you know? they're they're dumbing us down in a way
1: yes that, that's i would agree with that 100% you know it, when i was a kid they would teach us things for example like you know during the time of columbus people thought the world was flat mm-hmm. and that that if you sailed too far you would sail off of the edge of it It takes like five minutes of research to realize that is not true, that people have known the world was round since ancient Greece. You know, you can even find textbooks during that time period still to this day that show that they knew the world was round. But in in school, they're telling us these people thought the world was flat. You're going to sell off into sea monsters and all that sort of thing. But, I, you know, I would look at that, like my family and like the world of poverty that I was born into, and, and I would look around me and I would think, there's got to be something better than this. There's got to be something higher than this, something more meaningful, something more beautiful. But I didn't know what it was because I had never seen it. You know, it's like they say, like in the tattoo world, they'll say that most people when they come in to get tattoos can only ask for what they've already seen. Because, you know, if they haven't seen it, then a lot of times they don't have a way of envisioning something that hasn't already crossed their path before. And that's kind of where I was stuck at in life, just from being born into that world of poverty and illiteracy and everything else. Going to death row was what freed me from that world, strangely enough.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. You think, I mean, again, because, uh, again, bringing the awareness back to the attraction, because I, I, this is my belief is is everything in your life is you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from the finite de- detail, even, you know, the way you look, the way you, you know, the, everything on the outs, because you, you, you've you, never seen yourself with your own eyeballs. Right. So it's always a reflection of you. So you see the idea of you that you've created inside yourself. Right. That's why you don't see the way people see you. You know, does that not
0: drive you crazy sometimes when you think about it?
2: Yeah, like uh, just
0: real talk, real quick. Like, have you like does it not drive you insane sometimes? <laughs> like, I just want to see myself from a third person. <laughs> like, I just want to be across the room and know no. what I'm doing. Like, does that not drive you fucking nuts? I think about this pretty frequently, actually, no. that I can't actually see myself, and i like it freaks
1: me out.
2: but again because that's because we you know all these insecurities we have and all these these things the image that we project out so that's the reflection that you're seeing Mm -hmm. as i always tell Noah, on the the, you know i I drop it every every podcast is the uniqueness you know factually there's only you know one of damien one of Noah, one of myself i'm not talking about alternate realities i'm talking about us right now Mm -hmm. there's only one of us in the whole entire universe which makes us the the most unique things that has ever existed or as ever existed in this lifetime um, so I, I know you understand the kind of the manifestations of it. And I, and I just want to dive in fully on the feeling. Um, and if you can pinpoint now, whether it's, you know, an emotion or thought or obviously everything was happening to you in the now, then with you being on death row, was there any inclination of when you were a teenager about death or any kind of attraction to it? Or, you know, I know you um, uh, there, there was a, a quote that you did um, during the trial Um, I don't know if you know this, Noah, but um, Damien took the stand and as a teenager, and I was like, this young teenager is so fucking woke. The questions he was answering from the prosecution and everyone else, for example, they were talking about the Wicca religion. Um, And they were saying, you know, well, you know, it's the devil's work, you know, you follow a female God. And he said, and Damien says, I don't want to quote you, but he says, "Um, I do follow the female God because we're all God's children and men can't have children. So therefore, it has to be a woman, and I was like, "Holy shit!" That just blew my mind. So I'd, I'd just love to, for you to elaborate on like your feelings at the time, and just to so I, for my own studies that I can pinpoint the actual. You know, you know.
1: honestly, I think at the time I was probably honest to God. So, like people who see the documentaries or or yep. footage of the trials back then, they always say you were so calm, and and what I try to tell them is I wasn't calm. What you're looking at is shock. Yeah. You know what? You, what you're looking at is somebody who is in the midst of severe trauma, and it just appears I appeared, was
0: going to ask: is is that is was that just straight fear?
1: That's what it was. it. Was that? That's, it was was that yes, absolute terror. I, I can't imagine. That's exactly what it was. I, you know, I, I've one of the things that I learned when you're talking about manifestation. Due to, due to that time period in my life and the way things happen, like I said, looking back in hindsight, now I look at it as nothing happened to me, everything was happening for me, that this was a path that the universe put before me to give me the life that I wanted to have. I didn't know that at the time. I saw it as my life coming to an end. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that it was just starting, that this is the doorway to the life that you want to live, to something more meaningful.
0: And that's why you're the coolest guy I've ever (laughs) met. Cyberly,
2: (laughs) for real.
0: Like (laughs) virtually met that like I just am like in awe of everything you're saying. And you're making me really think about everything in my life and putting it to a per, into perspective. So thank you. Of course. Um, of course. Yeah. And I just have a question. Was the fear the idea of not knowing yet? And once you, when, when you, when you, you're on a stand and you're, you're knowing you're about to go to, prison for something you didn't commit was this was the fear of going into prison real, compared to living in prison and and being there for almost 20 years was that fear did that fear did you did you experience that fear did you did was there a time there that you know you were like this is why i felt what i felt on the stands like this is like what was it Was there ever a time where you felt almost normal there because you had spent so much time there, where yeah. that almost became a norm, normal reality? or was yeah, it like did you have to go through a lot of scary things for that to become a normal process and for that yeah. to become you know your way of like finding peace or, or whatever it was that you I'm sure you got into a routine? It, I'm, I'm not sure, yeah, but I'm that, guessing yes. that you would mentally need to give yourself a routine.
1: You know, I when I first went in, it, it was a, a long time before I ever started to look at it as normal. And I, I don't know that I would say that I looked at it as normal as much as what happened over time is I almost stopped thinking about it at all. You know, I was so like for, for so long magic Has been my life, like doing these rituals, doing these practices. So, you know, when I went into solitary confinement, you have to create your own world or you're going to go insane because there's nothing in there. You know, you're not interacting with people, places, things, anything. It's just you sealed inside a concrete box. So, you have to create your own, you have to give yourself something to focus on besides that. Not only that, but there's going to be no growth whatsoever. No sort of internal, psychological, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, no growth of any sort, unless you yourself put forth an effort to create a kind of routine and structure that will cause those things to happen. But I saw things when I first went in that honestly, no human being should ever have to see you know i've seen people stabbed to death i've seen people executed you know there were times when i was beaten there were times when i was starved and and those aren't things you can ever get used to you know those are things that the level when that would
0: happen is when that would happen and if if they are starving you are they
1: is that the 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 like who, who, the like, guards, the, yeah. The guards, the, the, guards, the they, guards, yeah. Every single time that I was in fear for my life when I was in there, it was always about the, the guards. Yes, always, yeah.
0: And I've, I think that also points back to uh, the time we're living right now. Mm-hmm. The people are protecting us, aren't protecting us. You weren't protected as a teenager. Oh, you no, deserve no. to no. be protected. And there's so many black young lives now, you know, that deserve to be protected. And, and our, our security our that our guards, they, they yes. aren't, they aren't protecting us. Yes. And the fact that there were guards in there, you know, it, it, that's, that's their job to take care of you, to make you safe while they're in there. And, and they, they abuse you.
1: They, they don't, they don't usually see it that way. They don't see like it's their job to take care of you. They see it as, it's i mean they would do things for example like uh they used to have like a jar that the guards would put money in so whenever an, an execution was about to take place they would actually have like tailgate parties sometimes where they would have barbecues whenever these executions were taking place they looked at it as almost like a you know a super bowl Celebration. party yeah exactly yeah
2: that's um, i guess that you know as as a career path i mean to be a correctional officer anyway means you know, the attraction to that. And you can only imagine what their home lives are like.
1: Yeah. Nobody wants, you know, no. nobody grows up saying I want to be a prison guard whenever I get
2: older. Yeah. That's- You're always going to attract that certain type of person. We have to chase yes. narrative. We have to chase, yes. you know, well it's the same thing with cops is, you know, and politicians and, 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 and priests and all that. It takes a certain type of person to become any one of those.
0: Yeah. And I feel like maybe a lot of the times, you know, uh, you know what? I'll mention something uh, I may be too personal I may call out somebody I went to school with, but <laughs> I will say that I think a lot of these guards, police officers were people lacking control at a point in their life and and they 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 felt like they need a badge mm-hmm. to to give them control and now now they're aggressive and they're angry and they're taking back what they didn't have and i think I, I honestly think. And it, it's wild that somebody who protects our lives literally gets less training hours than a hairdresser.
1: Literally, yeah, there's, there's
0: less training hours than a hairdresser.
1: That's odd to say the least.
2: Yeah, yeah. you know what it is, Noah. Is uh, I mean, speak. It's men.
0: It blew my mind.
2: It's just men. I mean, men and these egos and these uh, these, these and pretty much watching your case, Damien. Is no one wanted to admit the the, the mistake
0: oh no absolutely no one owns mistake. up to the mistakes.
2: man in jail no one wanted to just be like you know what we fucked up we did this we did that and it and it went to a point that where even towards the end when you you know when you were exonerated and they let you guys go they still had to have something just yes. to say and and you know no one's been caught for the, for the actual murder. no one's like the if they would have done their actual job none of this would have happened
1: oh and it's you know it's not even like Like just negligence or neglect, it was in in our case, it was an active attempt to not find the person who did it, because then they knew they would have to admit they made it. Even to this day, we are still struggling. You know, like DNA testing has come a long way since since '93, whenever I was arrested, and even since 2011, since I got out, they can do kinds of dna testing now that they could not even do in 2011 so we've still even to this day been fighting to get the state to do more dna testing to show who actually committed these murders and they have fought us every step of the way to keep dna testing from being done you know people we have
0: the technology to do so much shit that they don't want us to be able to do yes no. how were the fucking pyramids built like for real like we have technology that like has not been like the like and then they don't want us to have it
2: no it's i i mean it's a a perfect example is and you know i did some research in you know the state of arkansas the it's the one of the last remaining states where the prosecution controls the crime lab so that means you know if you've committed a crime the defense has no control over the crime lab. It's, it's the people who have accused yes. you of crime and trying to get you in jail, which is fucking insane to me. And, and to
1: this day, there has never been a person exonerated from death row in Arkansas. Which
2: never. is which is which is them just trying to say that there is n- that no one makes mistakes. We're mm-hmm. humans. Everyone makes mistakes. The the justice system is, makes mistakes. Everything makes mistakes. Um, And I just I, w- I want to touch up on just some facts that, you know, just to educate people, I mean, even the the medical assistant examiner, um, wasn't even board certified. Who was giving evidence against Damien to convict him of this heinous crime, and it just blows my mind. Just, I mean, again, I I, I rewatched it yesterday. I'm so passionate and emotional about this, and you know. I'm not trying to judge up old shit, but it's. Uh, I feel like it's something we need to talk about.
0: I'm literally about to go downstairs and watch it. <laughs> like I literally like. It's my, and,
2: and, and this is the one that that Damien produced. So right.
0: my, my boyfriend doesn't know y- your story, and so like I'm excited to go downstairs and like, be like we have I, I have loads of shit to show him, and just like, I, I just want everyone to know your story now. Like I'm literally like, how do I get? him to meet my dad how do I get him to meet my brother like I like literally know so many people like you know that just feel things on a spiritual le- level and spiritual to uh, to to me does not mean religious in any mm-hmm. way um that just connect and like I literally just through the computer and you know Lou and I from the day I met him when I met Lou I was uh, very close to suicidal and and um Extremely depressed, and I had mm-hmm. no no self confidence. I, I I it took Lou forever for us to actually meet. Whenever whenever he became my ANR, we didn't mm-hmm. even meet for a, a, the first month or two. I and it was the, the spiritual energy that he brought into my life. And my dad, his best friend, committed suicide when he was seventeen. Never had another friend. His one friend is Lou.
1: Yeah.
0: He has people, not really. He doesn't call people. He doesn't text people. He doesn't have that kind of friend. But the one person that I've ever gotten him to go over to somebody's house and talk to is Lou. (laughs) And, and, And I know in a way my dad and everyone around us spiritually felt the way that Lou changed my life. And that was all through spiritual energy. I'm now the godmother of their newborn baby who I love, you know, more than anything in the whole world and would do anything for. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, is all this spiritual connection, like, you know, and that's why, like, I just want to get to New York so, like, we can, like, hang out and, like, I talk more and, like, I just, because I just, honestly, just even through Zoom, like, I just know that we have such great conversations because I'm so sad that our, our podcasts are only however long they are because I just, I want more time to be able to talk to you because everything you say, I'm just like, amen to that. Thank, like, thank you for saying that. like There's so many things you've said today where all I, all I had was nothing to say. I've just been kind of left speechless by you. And you really have inspired me by every word you're saying and the positivity and the hope and the change that it had on your life, turning you into the person you are now, inspiring me, inspiring Lou, inspiring thousands of people that, you know, I think it's weird you know being public people when when mm-hmm. you inspire somebody and you've never met them it's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of a weird thing and it's but it's cool um and it's beautiful that you've been able to do that and i look at, just every time i hear you talk about that you know you weren't going through it personally it was it was happening for you like mm-hmm. it wasn't happening to you it was happening for you and the fact that you say that like there's been so many times that i've almost just started crying right now because hearing you say that like there's so much faith and and hope in that and my dad says faith is a verb and mm-hmm. and i and i, I listen to that faith is a verb and faith again doesn't have to do with religion or anything and i and i always you know talk about things spiritually and i always remind people that i'm not tying this to a religion you know
2: mm-hmm.
0: but Genuinely from the bottom of my heart, like you have one of the most amazing energies that I've felt from somebody. And like, I thoroughly enjoy talking to you and I I want to be able to like, next time I'm in New York, please let's, Hang out I or something, and, and, and get to. and talk. And I don't know if you smoke weed. Let's smoke weed. I'm thinking that's a piece <laughs> behind you, but I can't tell.
1: Oh <laughs> no, that's my alchemy Oh, <laughs> you know,
0: I'm like, is that a bomb? Um, I'm like, if you want to smoke, let's yeah. But if, be um, butt. I I would love to love to love to meet you in person, and because I feel like I. I feel like I've learned so much in what we've been on for 49 minutes. And I've learned so much from you in the span of 49 minutes that I feel like it's not enough. And
1: uh, when you're here, say say the word and I'm there, you know, same, same for your dad. I have been a huge fan of his since I was a teenager. Yes. Yes, that yeah, is amazing. I,
0: I, I just, I know, I'm sitting here looking at you, talking to you, and my brother Brazen and my dad. Like, I swear, like you're just like, uh, like I can't believe it. Like, you're just the same energy as them. And and I and I, anytime, I don't know. You, it, the next time I'm there, or if you're whatever here in Nashville, whatever, we have to get together because like and meet in person because this like your energy is so healing genuinely so healing I I was feeling so anxious before this podcast and I was on fire actually literally like burning up and I was telling Lou I was like I'm so hot I'm I'm so hot I'm having anxiety I'm having anxiety and talking to you has gone from here to here to here and here because I'm like what am I worried about Mm -hmm. where do you think the anxiety comes from I, I, all of my anxiety, I believe comes from past and future. Nothing, nothing in the present. Um, yeah. All of the things that I can't change and all of the things that I can't control. Yeah. Um,
2: that's why I have to let go. We have to, you know, we can control the things in our lives, but you can't control the other people bringing things into your life for. So for example, you know, when, when Damien was with the, you know, the other two guys, they were all going through that together. So it was their emotions. It was their feelings. It was the prosecution's feeling. It was all everyone in one. So it's like, are you
0: guys, are you and the other two guys still in contact?
2: No. You know, one of the guys only had an IQ of
1: like 72 to begin with. And then you take somebody, you know, on that, like level of intellectual development and subject them to the level of trauma that we went through. And you've pretty much destroyed them for, you know, life. You yeah. know, he, he, as soon as we got out pretty much just disappeared back into the world that we came from uh, the other guy, you know, he's dealing with a lot of stuff too. Uh, it, for I think for both of them, it's been a lot harder for them to let go of it and move on than it was for me. For, for whatever reason.
0: Do you think that's because you m- maybe manifested this future you that has this powerful healing and that you maybe had that from the jump that you didn't know about? Was there something that you maybe brought this for yourself? Is there something that you did in Prison that 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 flipped this switch for you, or is this absolutely one, I...
1: honestly, I give credit to two things, two things allowed me to survive and keep my sanity. one was the practice of magic, the other was um my wife, to be quite honest, you know, we sort of created That's this good. world where you know, I didn't even think about the fact that I was in prison. You know, I, I heard the story one time about Timothy Leary, the guy who did all the LSD experiments. And at one point, they had arrested him and put him in prison. And Ram Dass went to see him. And Ramdas tells him, we've come up with this plan, you know, we're going to break you out of here. And Timothy Leary says, no, you can't do that. I've got too much work to do. <laughs> By the time I got out of prison, that's kind of how I felt. You know, not only could I not you know, it had been almost 20 years and I was a little more than, you know, I was just a teenager when I went in. So I really could not literally could not remember what it was like to be in the world anymore. You know, I couldn't remember what it was like to eat food that wasn't prison food. I could not remember what it was like to wear clothes that weren't prison clothes. So they weren't even things that I missed anymore, but I was also just so focused on the world that I was creating that I didn't even think about it. You know, I was still experiencing growth and development and enjoying myself in a lot of ways. You know, I would get up every morning excited, get, just get out of bed and be excited that I got to go through another day doing these practices. So it was like the prison almost just started to, to fade away. For most people, that's not the case. For most people, it's like if you're going through a kind of hell like that, they don't have anything else to focus on. They don't have anything that they love. So they end up focusing entirely on what they hate, on what's killing them, on what's making them so miserable. And the more you, whatever you focus on is what you're feeding attention to. So the more you focus on the things that are making you miserable, the more those things are going to come to constitute the reality that you experience.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, how, uh, go, sorry, no, go.
1: How many people
0: did you meet that was in the same situation as you while
1: you were there? It's hard to say, you know, they they actually estimate now that maybe as many as one out of every 10 people that are executed are innocent. You know, that's one of those things like Brian Stevenson, who does you know so much work with uh, getting people out of, innocent people out off of death row. He he says that if one out of every 10 planes crashed, people would demand that something be done, that it would be fixed. Yet most people Absolutely. don't know anyone on death row. So it, it's sort of being swept under the rug. Uh, the guy that was in the cell right next to me, in the cell next to mine, uh, was also in, innocent.
0: In, in solitary confinement?
1: Yeah. And he eventually got out too, but it was the same way with me. They don't just admit they made a mistake and let him go. They made him take a deal just like they did in my case.
2: Yeah. Wow. Now,
0: when you, when you first got in there, was it you, you were you put into not immediate solitary confinement, correct? Not at first, not for about the first 10 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So were you were you in a in a cell with one other or were there were, were
1: no you still had your own cell but you you know when you went to the yard you know people would go out to the yard and play dominoes or guys would play basketball or you know just sit around and talk or whatever it was and then and you like got to do that yeah yeah but for, then that, in that was the strict, beginning for ten exactly. years exactly. and then
0: that's just taken away from you and I'm exactly. sure did you go into a mental shock at that point when oh, you yeah. get stripped of sunlight and yes. oxygen, because yes. I, I watch a lot. I, I watch a lot of prison documentaries because I, I'm, I'm very intrigued with the justice system and, and I know how unfair it is. Um, so I've realized that that daytime that mm-hmm. you get out that little bit or whatever, you're not in your cell. I know how important that I don't know personally, But I can see how important that is. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine, you know, uh, just being stripped of sunlight one day. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. Uh, If people really are interested in, you know, I saw a documentary. It's probably the most realistic documentary that I have ever seen about prison. It was uh, narrated by Danny Trejo. And I can't remember exactly what it was called. It was called something like something like uh how to survive prison or or you know what to do if you find it was i can't remember the exact name of it but danny trejo was the narrator it was the most realistic i mean it when i was watching it i at, at in the beginning i almost even turned it off because it it is so vivid i mean it brings back the feeling of being in prison when you're watching it but i made myself keep watching it and and it's one that i always tell people if you really want to know what this experience is like you will not get a closer feeling for it than than this documentary
0: and what is that feeling
1: alone number one you are completely and absolutely alone Anything that happens, you have no friends, you have no family, you have no support. It's just you trapped in a building full of people who want to murder you, people who are intent on putting you to death, people who uh, don't care if they come in and find you dead on the floor in the morning. So you you know that there's no help coming from the outside world.
2: Wow, that's insane. Um. I, I, I just want to touch up on, because I know you've brought up uh, a section on good karma. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to elaborate on on good karma and your experiences with it, and, because I think you break it down so so amazingly that I'd just love to hear it.
1: You're well, a great example. Thank you. Of
0: yeah,
2: good it, karma.
1: You know, it's uh, I think Duncan Trussell had actually asked me that one time, you know, when we were talking about uh, just, for, he said, would you look back, would you say that it was good karma? Mm -hmm. that you went to prison. And I, like I said, I didn't see it that way at the time. At the time, I was just scared. I was traumatized. I was going through hell. I was in fear, but as, as more and more time went on and especially, you know, looking back in hindsight, I see so much growth and development and happiness and, you know, just so much good came to me and and came into my life from that experience, which is another reason I can't really be too bitter about it. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I would like to see the people who did it held accountable. Mm -hmm. You know, the people who did, who put us in that situation, I would like to see them have to admit that they screwed up, uh, have to admit that they tried to kill an innocent person. But at the same time, you know, I still see so much good. that I am probably happier now than I have ever been in my entire life. Wow. So for me, I love hearing people say they're
0: happy. That makes me happy. Yeah. I love hearing that you're happy. And literally after now talking to you, I'm like so angry at everybody. (laughs) And I'm just like, cause I just, I feel like I personally connected to you now. And I'm like, let's find them. Let's get your justice. (laughs) Like I, I'm I'm like, how do we do that? How do we get them behind bars? I'm like ready to go. And I'm i just uh i'm in your corner man you are the coolest guy uh yeah
2: um i just i I want to touch up on um life after death and Mm -hmm. and and your opinion on it and you know i know you talk about solar consciousness and you know the present moment and solar body and when we die we experience two deaths Mm -hmm. or death and then the spiritual i I, i'd love for you to just touch up on that as well
1: well it's you know it's kind of a long explanation, but think about it as you know whenever we say uh, like you'll hear people in religion say, God created the world when when if we're thinking about it from the perspective of ceremonial magic, that means something entirely different from when religious people say that. you know they usually mean it as in you have this intelligence that created something, and at the end of the process. It's almost like an artist that makes a painting or a sculpture or something, where at the end of the process, you've got the artist and you've got the piece they created, and they're two separate things. When we say that God created the world, it means something more along the lines of you have this infinite intelligence, this source of energy that lies outside the domain or outside the boundaries of time and space. You know, It has no boundaries, no qualities, no characteristics. It is just infinite energy it never changes. In order to experience change, it has to pour itself into the dimensions of time and space. So it's not like it created the world and and remained a separate thing. It became the world. It became us. We are God. Part of what magic does is erodes the little I, the ego, whatever you want to call it, and allows you to experience from a First hand perspective that you are the consciousness which is looking out through the eyes of every man, woman, and child in this world. You know, it's like when Jesus says, Whatever you do to other people, you're doing to me. He didn't mean that as a metaphor, he meant that literally. When you do something to someone else, you are literally doing it to you. They are you just experiencing itself from a slightly different perspective or vantage or viewpoint. So whenever we die, Usually, you know, the way we look at it in magic is when the we go through two deaths, the first is when the physical body dies. The second is when like the astral or etheric or energetic body begins to unravel. Whenever that happens, you're left with just this core uh, seed of divine energy that there's no personality or anything to, it merges back with that source sort of goes into this kind of cosmic washing machine and the energy gets recycled, you know, it gets put into other things. So part of what we're doing in magic and, and, and not just in magic, you know, they do this in Tibetan Buddhism. They do this in alchemy, uh, like in, in the highest practices of Tibetan Buddhism, they call it uh, building the rainbow body. In alchemy, they call it building the solar body. In in magic, we usually call it the light body. But what you are doing is uh, constructing kind of an energetic body that maintains your consciousness after the death of the physical body, so that you never you don't merge back into source. You maintain, you remain an individual consciousness and, and can continue to act and grow and develop. Uh, you know, they say one of the ultimate goals of magic is to be able to create your own world and dwell within it. So that's mm-hmm. that's part of, of what that is that we're doing after death.
2: Okay, that that sounds like life.
1: <laughs> yes, that's ex- that's exactly it. When in life, we are doing it in the physical realm of reality. Yeah. Exactly, we are creating our own world. Yep.
2: Yeah. Have you ever read any um, uh, any of the Seth books? Seth- i haven't i've heard a lot of people talk about him but i haven't read any you shouldn't i mean this every i mean we had a, a sleep scientist on matthew walker the other day who which blew my mind too um and everything he was saying as a scientist seth was saying as a spiritual speaker because you, you know, know those who don't know seth is a is a an entity or you know a spirit form speaking through a woman and her husband writes down everything he says And he talks about why we sleep spiritually And he also talks about, you know, the, the, the death and when we die, for example, if you believe that you're going to be condemned by God, when you die, when you die, you see the, the, Mm -hmm. you see that type of stuff.
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: um, You know, I believe when you, I don't know what I believe when I die, but you know, where I'm at now is I believe when I die, as Seth says, is everything you, you, for example, manifestation, everything you think about in life is exactly how it is in death. Mm -hmm. so the same education the same rules apply what you believe in death is what happens in death
1: yes see but my
0: biggest fear is that
1: so why like why yeah like what is it about it that causes you to have fear
0: i'm very close with my mom and so i'm very afraid of that disappearing so Mm my 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 fear is any any death honestly like my death or anyone's death, that's something I think of frequently. When I have bad dreams, they're of like, you know, like me being in the house, someone trying to kill me. Like mm-hmm. that's my biggest fear really is like death. And I think because I actually know somebody, her name is Mary Hensley, if you want to look her up. Um, and she actually got into a car crash and she died. And she saw herself from bird's eye view. And she said, whenever she went where she went, she, she was met with her spirit guides and they, they showed her her life. And she said, it was like a movie. And I don't want to see that movie Mm. because that I'm afraid that's going to bring me sadness and heart heartbreak. Like, I don't want to see that, that, that makes me sad to even imagine like, you know, like I could cry about it right now. Like that is my fear, is that movie that you're presented with. I don't want to watch that movie because it, it like, I, I wrote a song called The End of Everything. I don't know if you've heard my music or anything, but I just put out a new EP called The End of Everything. And the title track is about, about the end of the universe. And I would love for you to hear it whenever we're done with this. I, I can text it to you or Luke can text it to you. But that, that's the one song that I really did write down everything you fear is going to end everything you love is going to end and that was me coming to terms with it and i still just fear it so much because of that 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 movie that i've been told about that that mm-hmm. slideshow that preview i don't want to feel i don't want to like miss anybody i don't want to feel sadness or i'm afraid that that's going to feel like sadness i don't want to feel like uh you know out of control of that situation you know like my biggest fear you know my mom and i always say is being separated or something happening to my mom or something mm-hmm. happening to myself and us being in this world without each other cuz i believe that my mom like my mom was adopted So my mom met my dad for a reason. And I just, I believe that they honestly, like my mom is like, so just spiritually connected to me that, that like, that's one of my biggest fears is losing my mom or my mom losing me or something like that. And being presented with that movie because, Mm -hmm. and I keep calling it a movie because that's how she described it. And uh she she got the option like you know you can come down uh come back and she's watching herself and she got back into the um emergency room and she she was in a coma and she was explaining to the to the doctors and the policemen in there and everything what had happened and they said you weren't you weren't conscious and she said i i saw it, and no one believed her and she got this option you know like if, if you come back, you got to continue your gift because since she was young, when she was a child, she was able to talk to her grandfather who had passed already in her sleep and he had told her someone in the family had cancer and it was correct and he would warn her about things and it would be correct. And so mm-hmm. when she, she was she met her spirit guides and they said, do you want to continue life with this gift? or no. And, and, and she came back and she, she's a healer and she writes these incredible books and she is so inspiring. Um, but it was interesting. I wanted to mention her earlier when you told me, um, about the guy that almost got executed Mm -hmm. and he said he saw his life flash before his eyes. So that does mean that's true. Correct. That, that, my, that my biggest fear is, is going to happen. You do see that.
1: Well, but even then, think that maybe your biggest fear right now, that whenever you do have to experience it, maybe you realize something amazing comes from it. Something beautiful comes from it. That when you get to what you fear the most, you realize it's for a reason. You know, I have, I have a friend that I respect very much who also practices magic, and he said one of the main reasons that he wants to do this work is because he has children, he has a wife. He said his family is his life. He said he wants to be able to know that whenever they die, he will be there waiting for them and can help escort them to their next place whatever they're supposed to do next so that he is always there to give them love to give them comfort and to help them on their journey so for him that's a huge part of the reason why he does this work
2: that's amazing i i incredible. And, and i feel yeah. like we as humans put the opposite on everything so you know if 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 birth is life then death is also life Mm -hmm. But we always, you know, we always put an end to things, you know, if birth is, death is the end. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not the end. And I feel like it's back to, you know, I mean, with death and stuff, everyone is different. Every single person has different experiences. Everyone has grown up different. Everyone has different emotions. Even if you're twins in the same, you see things slightly differently. So um your experience in death may be different to that even though you believe that you'll see a movie it may be a different type of movie
1: yes that movie
2: made to lauren yes right um right yeah so um and i want to go back to actually i want to start probably one or two more things is um i love the, the the way you um talk about the power of words Um, cause we, 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 I mean, I, I know I do, but a lot of people I speak to don't understand the power they have by everything they say. And even sometimes, you know, my wife and I would say, oh, I'm so tired. And then I snap myself out of it. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm putting energy on the fact that I'm tired. Mm -hmm. Or even, you know, at the same time I was watching you and Duncan Trussell and you mentioned, you know, if someone was, was sick and they asked, how are you, you say I'm getting better and better by the minute. Right. And at the same time I was reading Seth and he says, uh, every day in every way, I am feeling better and better.
1: Yes, exactly. Yes. You know, it's like that saying, I can't remember who said it, but they say where attention goes, energy flows, Mm -hmm. like whatever you put your attention on is where your energy is going to pull you towards, you know, it's like, I I can't remember who used this example, but someone was talking about like race car drivers. And they, they said, whenever they're training race car drivers to drive, they tell them, don't look at the wall, you know, either look at your instrument panel, look at the track, look at the other cars, whatever. But if you keep consistently focusing on that wall, sooner or later, you're going to drive into it because you're going to, your life is going to move in the direction that you put the majority of your energy into.
2: Absolutely. Um, And then uh, just for for someone like who's new to this spiritual thing and uh, listening and just what would be your advice on someone starting out on this path or wanting to get more into it or, you know, wants to meditate or wants to read some books? Is there any examples you can give or any advice you have for that?
1: You... Uh, one, I get you know. I think uh, it's it's kind of a fifty-fifty process. I don't think you can just read and study or watch documentaries. You have to do the practices. You know, yeah. you have to have both hand in hand. For me, I think some of the big ones that helped me the most. You know, for example, it, it's kind of mind-blowing for me now. Like my new book, the Angels and Archangels book. The foreword was written by a man named John Michael Greer, who I discovered his books when I was in prison. He wrote. You know, tons of books, but they were all on you know magic, and and one in particular was Learning Ritual Magic was the name of it. And just because it was so simple, and another one was a, a man named Donald Michael Craig. He wrote a book called Modern Magic. These books were like my Bibles when I was in prison. These were the only things I really had that were of any you know value to me while I was in there. I read these things over and over and over and practiced you know, over and over for hours a day. And and then I get out and, and actually become friends with one of these guys whose work was instrumental in helping to save my life and my sanity in there. And he ends up writing the foreword for the new book. And it's one of those things, it's just like, you know, like meeting one of your, your absolute heroes, someone who kind of helped save your life. Uh, So those are things that I always suggest that people start with uh, either, you know, my books or John Michael Greer's or Donald Michael Craig's. But the important thing is uh, you have to put it into practice. You know, you have to spend uh, time actually doing these techniques. They won't, have an effect on you if you just think about them or read about them. You know, they they kind of jokingly call people who do that armchair magicians. <laughs> you have to have the actual practical, you know, everyday uh discipline behind it to actually develop and, and get stuff out of these things. So that that's usually what I tell people practice, study, and you know don't don't be embarrassed about starting with simple stuff you know a, a lot of times we want to jump to the most complicated or the the highest things or whatever because we we think that's what's going to get us the best results and a lot of times it doesn't because we're not ready for those it's much more beneficial if we just focus on what we can understand and what we can do and then work our way up from there so i shouldn't go in the
0: backyard right now and try to do some rituals <laughs> I, I shouldn't i shouldn't go stir in a pot and uh, <laughs> with smoke coming out of it and do some rituals in, in the backyard right now i should take it easy okay noted noted um i really honestly please lou when we're done with this connect okay. us in a group chat or something please yeah
2: done and done uh, because
0: i i can't honestly bro like i can't let this be the last time i i talked to you <laughs> you were that incredible
1: like thank you
2: no, we'll have, we'll have Damien back on, and, and please, everyone, go check out the books. They're amazing. I'm actually reading your, you know, Life After Death right now, and the first chapter is just like, because it's been a while since I've actually read anything. Mine
0: past. is on its way, my book.
2: Well, but Damien sent you Arch Angels and archangels.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read that like the second it gets there, and I <laughs> yeah. just like. Ah, I'm like waiting I'm, 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 I'm for the pack.
2: beginning. So I'm like, uh, you know, life after death is w- the, the, the the initial, and then I'm going in order of the, of of the way you've written them. Because if I go for the new one, I'm right. on all the the, the education of So I
1: actually, I should I write... read it in order. It might be helpful. It might be useful. Not necessarily, but but it might. Yeah, it might be I definitely useful. will
0: read in order. I'm
1: going to get it all like I'm reading in order. And I... Life, Life After Death, I actually wrote that one while I was on death row. Yeah. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and if you're familiar with the comedian Margaret Cho, uh, she and I used to write to each other. You know, We corresponded with each other while I was in prison. And Life After Death actually started from my correspondence with Margaret Cho. It, it wouldn't exist if not for her.
2: Wow, I mean, it's um, like the the starting chapter. The int- it's it you're hooked, and it's been as I was saying, it's been a while since I've actually listened to an autobiography or any or sorry, read an autobiography or any of these type of books because I'm just straight spiritual books. The Seth speaks, the mm-hmm. Oshos, all those type of yes. type, you know. Um, but your stuff is 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 fully up there. Um, I I just want to touch because I'm 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 reading the, um, the 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 book of Zazen. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is um, obviously the B- Buddhism uh, meditation. Um, h- how is it that you managed to get one of the <laughs> Harada uh, Roshi to, to the actual prison to give he, you a ceremony?
1: Well, whenever you're executed, the only person who is allowed to be with you is what they call your spiritual advisor. Like okay. no family, no friends, any of that, only your spiritual advisor. And he was uh Shoto Harada Roshi is a Japanese Zen master. That ended up becoming my teacher and traveling back and forth from Japan to the prison to teach me and and was the one that I eventually received an ordination ceremony from. But I met him because he was the spiritual advisor of another man who was on death row. He was the first person I met. You know, whenever I walked into the door on death row, this guy comes up to me and he gave me like a brown envelope that had like some stamped envelopes and an ink pen and some paper and a razor and a bar of soap. You know, just things you would need to survive on a day to day basis. And he says, I I do this for everybody whenever they first come in. All I ask is that you do the same thing. You pick up this practice and whenever somebody new comes in, you do the same thing for them. So this guy, he was eventually executed. By the time they executed him, he had been uh, ordained a Rinzai Zen priest. Mm -hmm. Uh, After he was executed, Harada Roshi was with him during the execution, and they allowed him to come onto death row and just sort of walk through and tell everybody what the guy's last words had been, how he held up during the execution process, all of that. We started talking. Uh, he, he gives me his address. We start corresponding with each other. And it was like one thing led to the next. And he ended up becoming one of my teachers as well.
2: I mean, the, the, that's again, power of. You know,
1: exactly. You know, that would have never happened if I yeah. wouldn't have went to prison.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, being confined. But then, I mean, if, if anyone who knows is one of the biggest spiritual Buddhism teachers of pretty much of all time partly um and it's again i'm reading your autobiography and and that's the first thing that comes up and i'm as i when i go for a run i'm listening to zazen meditation mm-hmm. so it's not coincidental that these are all happening this is I'm, I'm in tune with my universal line and we have to look at you know the buddhas the Jesuses, the the muhammad's they operated on a vibrational line that was flat mm-hmm. that's why we still you know what time is it oh it's jesus time you know, what date is it? Oh, it's Jesus. You know, again, I'm not talking about the actual textbooks. I'm talking about what they practiced or what they preached. because, you know, none of them wrote anything. All of them were illiterate. Mm-hmm. Um, these books were written afterwards. But it's the initial teaching that we have to kind of come together. And like we had Gary Vee on, we have to make compassion call. Cool. We have to make empathy call. Cool. We have to have all these things that are, that are becoming to make them call cool again. And I feel like once we have that, and I want to touch up on one thing too, just because I feel like you would understand this, um, both of you guys, Um, for systematic change, would it be equally as important if we had, you know, like, for example, all the protests that were happening, everything that was going on, which was amazing, like this, it was spiritual, empathetic change that needed to happen. Now, if we took 10 minutes from all of those people and meditated on one thing that we wanted to change, and that one focus was that meditation, how powerful do you think that would be?
1: Oh, incredibly powerful. There have been people. I can't remember who if it was. It was the if it was the transcendental people or somebody actually did experiments where they would get a lot of people together and they would try to focus on one thing going on in the world. You know, like one one place that was war torn or one place where genocides were taking place and they would get people to focus on that place, on sending an energy or, or sending energy to those people. And they showed that the more they, they, you know, came up with all these graphs and charts and did this in a really, really took a really scientific approach to doing this, like mapping it all out. And, and they actually showed that the more you got people to do that, the more things like crime and violence would start to drop in sort of like in connection with how much of that was happening. Wow. Another thing they showed though, is it doesn't even necessarily have to be like a large group of people. They said, if you had like one or two people that had been doing these practices for like years and years, you know, like a master that it would have the same effect as getting like a hundred people together who were just, just starting to do it just then.
2: Wow. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um. I th- I think, but we, we should end I it. Th-
1: yeah. I've learned more in
0: the, in like the past hour and a half and in my whole lifespan. So I am retiring now and, um, and, uh, yeah, that you really are such a special human being. Thank you for being on our podcast. So are you. I, Thank
1: you for having me.
0: I can't wait to meet you in person. Like I, I, my best friend lives in New York and she's been saying to me, come visit me. And I might just be going to visit her soon because I want to come say hi to you and 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 get to talk to you and and vibe and heal and and talk I'll and learn and I just I love listening so I'm I, I just I just want to learn so um, thank you for being on in my fields.